Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daou, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Hey friends, before we get started, I'm going to throw a little ad your way. As a cyclist, what is a spring all about? It's about getting your bike ready and learning some specific skills on how to deal with a bike mechanical while out for a ride. Let me ask you this. Do you avoid going long distances because you're afraid of experiencing a flat and not knowing what to do and possibly having to phone someone to pick you up? I can totally relate. I used to be that way. Now to avoid having that ever happening, I have something for you. I have created an online bike maintenance webinars and local hands-on clinics. Check the website for new dates regularly. Here's what you will learn. How to take your back wheel off, how to change a flat, how to adjust brakes, repair a broken chain, patch a flat. In addition, you will learn how to use the tools you're carrying in your bike bag, such as Allen keys and a chain brake tool, tire levers, how to use your pumps, what are chain links and how to use them. With these new skills and confidence, you will be able to handle any mechanical while cycling alone or in a group. No matter where you are globally, you can benefit from one of these webinars. If you're local, the clinics are more for you, and that's for Ottawa, Ontario area. I've been teaching these clinics for over 10 years, and trust me when I say, everyone learns something. A recording will be provided for the webinars, as well as Amazon shopping lists for both webinars and clinics for the bike tools that you will be using and learning how to use. Make sure to secure your spot today at www.sylviedaou.ca or bmcclinic.ca. Thank you very much and enjoy the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle All Things Cycling podcast with your host, Sylvie Dew. And we have this amazing pro athlete. So we're going to talk to Chris Schroeder, who is sitting in, uh, I want to say, um, um, uh, uh, Colorado. In Boulder, Colorado. Yep. Yay. I was right. Um, so the reason why we've got him here is he's got a couple stories, um, from going from a dyslexic young man into, um, a pro triathlete, uh, position to now a gravel pro. And you're going to also be able to listen to his extended story as a uh, team manager for Diamond Racing. And that is episode 22. I know we're all ahead of ourselves here, but here's a little bit about Chris before we bring him out and get into his story. So as a dyslexic young boy, school became increasingly difficult and confusing as he got older. In seventh grade, he was transferred to a boarding school specifically for dyslexic students. So this is a lot about what we're gonna talk about and how he's been able to really manage and use that to his advantage. Here, there, he used sports as a way to keep him focused and to burn off energy from the frustration from school. One of his teachers introduced him to cycling. He found that it not only made him feel physically stronger, but also made him physically, uh, sorry, emotionally more centered and focused. And he started to competing in, started to compete in races. And when his family moved to New York City, he joined a cycling team. Chris discovered triathlon, went from being a professional triathlete 
to now a pro gravel racer. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. I'm so excited to have you. No, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So now my first question is, well, we know a little bit about obviously how you got into cycling, but would love to hear your story uh, about the boarding school, how you came to realize you had dyslexia, how it, how you've been managing it. Let's go back yeah, to the beginning. It's definitely, um, you know, it's a never ending journey. You know, dyslexia is not something that ever goes away. It's just something that you learn to manage throughout your life. Uh, I definitely had kind of an interesting growing up with it. I grew up in Telluride, Colorado, and that's where my family moved. And I started first grade there and pretty much from the off, I was diagnosed at a very early age. Mm. So I had knowledge that I had dyslexia at first grade. My parents had knowledge of it, but being that Telluride is a very small town, about 2000 people in a kind of remote area in Colorado, I was in a school system that just really wasn't able or prepared to handle kind of this specific disability. It's, and it's a very hard disability because everyone who has it is different in a lot of different ways. And the, the spectrum from, you know, I don't want to say minor to extreme mm -hmm. is there. So a lot of kids, just the way they learn and the way they can actually learn to read and write is very different from kid to kid. And it's really emotional when you grow up, you get told a lot of things and because no one really understands it. And it's even harder. You're being taught by people who don't have dyslexia, who, you know, have degrees and such and resumes out the door about why they should be able to teach you to read. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I don't want to say it's all crock of shit, but when you're, yeah. when you're in third, I, I basically grew up with this kind of this emotional roller coaster of every school year I would go to school, you know, I'm first grade and you know, I'm struggling, you know, I have to go to this special class and then, you know, they teach you, you know, very basic stuff and they think it's going to help you. And you kind of feel sorry to feel kind of isolated and it was hard, but it just ultimately wasn't quite tailored enough to someone dyslexia. So in going into seventh grade, my family kind of made the decision that I needed to go to a boarding school that was a little bit more tailored for someone with dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And I had previously been gone to like summer camps for like schooling for dyslexia before that's, they were all, you know, a month or so long. So I was already kind of used to this, like, I mean, it's kind of weird, but probably like third grade, I started going for like extended months of time wow. by my, well, away from my family. So I kind of just flowed into boarding school and it was an interesting time in my life. I think that, you know, it's where when you're looking back at that period, when you're, you know, in your later twenties and you kind of retrospective, oh, like these things that were kind of awful at the time were good. And these things that were good were actually kind of awful. So mm -hmm. this is odd, like retrospect. I kind of had this weird relationship when you're in boarding school because you're young you know I was in seventh grade and social media was just then kind of starting to happen so you'd make these like relationships with seniors and then they'd just be gone forever so you kind of get this weird like oh make friends friends are gone forever now move on with your life so I kind of got right. this little unhealthy relationship with making uh emotional relationships with people through that but it was really mm -hmm. interesting and it took me in a situation where I was always exposed to other people with disabilities so, which is effectful for me a lot now as an adult, being very open-minded, having experienced kids with all different types of disabilities from autisms and Asperger's and uh, just being able to kind of understand and communicate with them a lot better. It's kind of a, a skill that I've developed through that, but dyslexia for me was just still, no matter what I did, it was a personal journey. Mm -hmm. And it, it's an odd one. I, I didn't really get a grasp on it till I was far later in life, you know, 15, 16, after I had left boarding school, my family moved to New York city. And that's where I finished my junior and senior year of high school. How was and that transition? That transition, none of the transitions for me were ever bad. Oh, okay. That's I always good. kind of embraced these things. I don't know why for me, I think it's just in my DNA, my parents and I, we just kind of have that jump in head first and we just naturally land on our feet kind of situation so as New York City was kind of was awesome and I really enjoyed the you know brief time I spent there but mm -hmm. going there with kind of a more mature mindset I, I still was in a very smaller private school at the time and 
I think my maturity at that point kind of helped me understand, right, this is just something I need to do myself. Because at that time, I had probably every year for my entire life from first grade to junior high school had some person who was a quote unquote specialist telling me this is the year you learn to read and write. And you hear that once a year, every year for a certain amount of time, you go, this probably isn't true. And it's probably not healthy to tell someone that with dyslexia, probably ever, but especially the beginning of every school year, which is probably not the best like one. And, you know, they all had the best intentions, but ultimately when I kind of came 16, I kind of wanted, like personally was motivated to learn to really get a grasp on reading and writing. Oh, okay. I, I was always into stories and being read stories when I was growing up by my mom. And I just kind of was very self-motivated for once. So really ultimately, like it just came down to myself kind of buckling down and doing it. And with dyslexia, again, it's different from every person to person and you never goes away. So right now as a 27 year old adult, I still misspell words all the time. I have to have, you know, a lot of my serious emails proofread, you know, by my fiance, you know, Mm -hmm. almost all my Instagram posts are proofread one way or the other, or I'll post them and have trolls in the comments telling me what error I made. Oh, and, but it's just like, that's just part of my life. It's just like, you take it on the chin. Like I've had enough people that, you know, with troll me for misspellings of grammar with intention with malice intentions to at this point be like oh you got me you're so awesome for getting me your grammar yeah, really. is so on point you know you really really knocked me good there for that misspelling or using the wrong there or the wrong two or not having oh my gosh commas. you know what you don't have to worry about being just yeah. <laughs> commas make are those far and away the worst thing for me i just never even like <laughs> i just don't use commas so it's kind of an interesting <laughs> process but I think that the biggest skill I learned kind of going through this journey of dyslexia was just having zero fear of asking for help at any point. Mm. And it's, it's all facets of my life now where my, if I don't know something, I have no problem just asking someone, Hey, what, you know, what do I do in this situation? What would your advice be? Yeah. Can you teach me this? Like, and it's, you know, in sport, it kind of flows in as you're always working with coaches, you kind of have to have a, a desire to learn and a willingness to, you know, know, put your hands up and say, Hey, I'm not good at this. Can you Mm -hmm. help me? So kind of while I'm going through this dyslexia thing, I kind of was using sports as an outlet, you know, something that I had a lot more control over in my life. Something I can kind of channel myself energy and I would get positive feedback. I'm good at this, which was something that was kind of rare for me in the classroom was any sort of positive feedback. So having positive feedback in sports was always a big one for me. And I kind of, I dabbled in a lot of sports. You know, I grew up skiing and Telluride and, you know, I played basketball in a lot of traditional high school sports. And then in that same kind of big transition, which was that two years I spent in New York City, I got introduced to triathlon and cycling kind of together, which was, you know, odd just because I kind of got bike racing and triathlon at the same time. And I didn't really know which one direction to go in. At the time, I ultimately went with um, triathlon and all being said, I kind of came to it at a rather late point, um, you know, being 17 and I have like a weird birthday. I'm born on the 30th of December. So I lost a year of being a junior because of the way they do their aging uh-huh. systems because mm-hmm. you, you raise the age that you are at the end of the year. So I was always an oh. age. So i never got to race my race age. So I lose a year of being a junior, which sucked uh, as far as development goes. However, mm-hmm. you know, going into college, coming to kind of Boulder with this kind of already love for triathlon in mind, I was able to kind of really continue developing and fostering that relationship here in Boulder. You know, there's a big community around it. There's lots of like gyms and pools and always people you can train with. So it was just kind of a, an ebb and flow. And I was able to kind of work my way through being an age grouper and eventually kind of earn my, in triathlon, it's, a, it's an actual license that you get that says you are a professional. You qualify it for doing various events and just the way you place in these events there's a lot of different ways you can do it mm-hmm. i ultimately got it actually at the new york city triathlon and you know it was fantastic i think i was 2015 i think it was when i got it you know i took it immediately right after that race uh and then i did my first pro race a month or so later and it was just you know it was an interesting like high point in that life you know it was a big 
it was a big journey just to get the license from USA triathlon and be able to, you know, officially say, you know, no matter, no matter what I was for at least for this moment, a pro triathlete. And, uh, it kind of then started this whole new love for the athlete lifestyle of, you know, what in cycle, well, a lot of cyclists here would probably know is like the privateer model and triathlon mm -hmm. is just, everyone is a privateer. So there's not really a word for it. You're just <laughs> a triathlete. So um, Chris, when you become a pro, that doesn't mean that's just your pro card. Like this has nothing to do with sponsorship or anything is it, did you go? Yeah. And there's definitely a, there, there's definitely some wording there that needs to be ironed out. Yeah. People have like, you, you can almost take it back and say, right. You said triathlon gave you your elite card, which means you can start in the elite wave being eligible oh. for prize money to call someone a professional means that, you know, a majority of your income is driven from this thing. You know, you're, I, I would, my personal definition is you're a professional at whatever the majority of your income comes from. If you, for example, if majority of your income comes from a podcast, you're a professional podcast host. Someone is, gets their income from being an accountant, they're a professional accountant. Like that's what professional mm -hmm. means. It's your profession. So did you start getting sponsorship at that point? Like in, yeah, I got my first, my first ever sponsor was this um, company called Red Haze here in Boulder. The, the owner, William, really kind of embraced me and it was such a key moment because it was a, such a positive moment for me I would say that you know emailing him and getting a response and even when he initially emailed me you know, he kind of emphasized just that he believed in me and you know I was nothing at the time and but yet my first ever interaction with a sponsor was very empowering it made right. me feel worth it made me feel like hey someone other than my direct group sees me they believe in me and I had reached out to him and, you know, they helped me purchase like my triathlon kit and gave me lots of product and more importantly, kind of gave me some confidence. Right. So can I ask you, um, how did you go about seeking sponsorship? I mean, I haven't really dove into that with anybody on my podcast. Can you talk about that? Like, yeah, did you have a, very, a list of people and you just emailed like a hundred and just waiting for one to come back? Like, it's a really interesting process. And one thing that yeah. makes it interesting is that there's no a hundred percent correct answer. You kind of have to go about it in your own personal way. Right. And I'm at a very different, you know, I've improved my ability to communicate with sponsors every year for the last seven years to where I am now. Mm. So even looking back at, all right, what was I doing for this very first one? Um, I'm sure I'm probably, probably this first one. I probably went on their website, saw the first email address and emailed them. I mean, now it's, how did you pick him? I had actually just been using like the readiness product was just something I used and it was just really freaking expensive. Oh, like, okay. You're like, it was, it was like really expensive. And I was just like, this is such a, I mean, I was a <laughs> sophomore in college. So I was just like, look, I can't buy these things every time I race. So I went out and emailed them. What kind of product is it? Can I it ask? was like a concentrated beet juice shot. Oh, okay. No, and, and it's lovely. And I, I'm not, I don't work with them anymore, but they were a lovely company. And I don't mind telling people, you know, that if you're oh, looking yeah. for a way to ingest beets, that I, I think they do a phenomenal job. Um, and they, you know, they morally aligned with me. They were really supportive of the LGBT community, which is just something that I feel like everyone in Boulder is somewhat on board with. So being with kind of a like-minded company and just getting that positive response but it made me kind of desire more of like, wow, like this sponsor thing was really fulfilling. I, I started with nothing. Like, you know, I, I emailed them and took this process all the way to the end. And it was a really satisfactory kind of moment. So it made me kind of want to chase that and I kind of start this new drive alongside being an athlete of, I want to drive myself in a business way. How can I be the best athlete? Like, how can I, you know, my results might be at this level, but how can my business side, you know, my sponsorship income be, exponentially higher above that level right and it was kind of a challenge especially like um in triathlon in boulder i'm always interacting with my peers i'm always seeing the people i'm racing against and i'm seeing their business i'm saying okay this person's sponsored by company x and they're getting yeah. y how can i do better than that with what i have like they might have better results than me but i want to get paid more right and you know it's just another competitive aspect of it triathlon and it's not the healthiest thing to be competitive about with your peers is who makes more money. But to be honest, that's just kind of how it is. Like there's, I'm not yeah, gonna lie. That's I mean, just, that's just the reality. It is. 
Right. Uh, and that was yeah. my mindset. It was, look, I'm going to try and make more money than you. Um, you might beat me in the races, but I want to get a bigger, bigger salary to check than you. So it was kind of motivating and it drove me. So no matter like what was going in triathlon, I always kind of had this sense for improvement in my head of how can I get better at business? So now, you know, fast forward seven years down the line, I have a very methodical system of how I go about reaching out to companies. Mm-hmm. And it's even changing now because as a team manager, I change like the, the companies I look to talk to are very different than the ones I was looking to talk to then. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of ever changing uh, the way that I reach out, finding out who I even reach out to and so on. So it's been another big learning process for me, but throughout being an athlete, it's just been this other kind of avenue of motivation and kind of feeling proud of myself for accomplishing something like that. Yeah, for sure. Cause that's always a big question is how, how athletes come to be, you know, paid, you know, do, do people approach them? Like do company, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of athletes that get approached, right. And then you have to make the decision, who do you align most with, but then, you know, doing your own re- reaching out and research as to who you want to work with is, I think even better. Yeah. So, it's, it's hard though. And it's, you know, it is a roller coaster ride of what, of all these different decisions that can kind of be made. Like when you get to the point where you do have the chance to say no, or the chance to say, like say yes, and kind of run it on your own, instead of you're, you know, when you start, you're reaching out and just whoever says yes to you is who you're with. Yeah. Whatever they get, you're grateful for. And then as you move mm-hmm. up, okay, all of a sudden you can ask for more from them or all of a sudden you're talking to multiple companies in the same Avenue because they both responded. So you kind of will grow and eventually get to the point where, you know, you're able to say no to companies for your own understanding of the product. You say, all right, I don't want to sponsor with you because I am going to go get sponsored by a company who makes a better product, mm-hmm. which is a big step. That's massive for any athlete to ever reach the level where they have the ability to say no to a single sponsor of any right. kind. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's hard at the same time, especially in triathlon is because there's a lot of people who are willing to take less than you. There's always someone willing to do a similar-ish job for less. Right. You know, I have to wake up every day and I have to justify why am I getting paid this? You know, like that's like my small thing every day when I wake up, all right, what can I do to justify my paycheck? But at the same time, there's someone doing the same thing for a product deal. Mm -hmm. So now they have to wake up and all they have to justify is a product deal, which means I have to overly justify my salary because there's this person willing to undercut me. So I need to be that much better than that person, Mm -hmm. which is really hard. And then there's a third person down the line who's willing to do it for a discount code. So now I have to show I am worth exponentially more than discount code person. And that's why I, you know, you have to really keep your foot on the gas. Yeah, I can see that. And it's really hard. And now that's why I, (laughs) and it just makes it another reason why it's kind of fulfilling when you get the positive feedback of doing your good job. And trust me, like getting positive feedback from a sponsor is, not a common thing. A lot of sponsors genuinely don't even think to give positive feedback. They just kind of expect you to, and maybe that's me. I, I genuinely enjoy positive feedback, but you oh, guys sponsors you're, that you're doing a great job for, and they just don't say anything. So you're just right. constantly freaking out. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, am I doing like, a good I job have, or am I not doing a good job? Come yeah. On, Cause I've had sponsors where they've said nothing to me all year. Like, Oh, I've had bad relationships. I, I had relationships. I would ask yeah, you know, I've had a relationship sponsor that did everything but just full on bully me. And it was oh. bad. It was oh yeah, they were like, they were like trolling me on Instagram. I was like, what are you doing? This is horrible. Is just, that when you kind of let go of a relationship, or is it yeah. like I I need this person so I have to? It's put like a up toxic. It's like a toxic dating relationship. Yeah, like, you know that you need <laughs> to get out of it. For some reason, they know you're in it till this amount of time, so they're just gonna kind of oh right use that you time have period contract. just to drag you along now is this is this where it becomes interesting where you like okay now i am putting in the contract that i have the ability to end the contract if i feel the relationship is no longer like yeah do it working for my for me yeah it's kind of a weird one now because i'm so everything's so different for me now and i'm in such a 
a different spot, especially in terms of like running a team mm-hmm. where all our relationships are. I think we only had like one or I think we only had two new sponsors for this year. Everyone else is multi-year, but it's a very different one. You finally find someone that you love working with and then you can just yeah. continue working with them. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time though, it's ultimately no matter what happens, it's still a business. Like you're still a business yes. entity. You still need, like you could have the best relationship ever with someone, you know, the market, you know, the sponsorship manager, but if you're not doing what they need to see to continue the relationship, you're still gone. You still right. need to be on mm-hmm. results. And sometimes it's not even that we got mm-hmm. dropped by a brand that we at the time, hundred percent believed was our, probably our best relationship. You know, if oh, you asked really? me the second that I read the email that we were dropped, I would have said right before reading it, this is our best relationship. They will never drop me. And <sighs> it sucks. And like yeah. any athlete out there that's ever been dropped by a sponsor, it, as much as you try to keep it a business relationship, it's still, you put a lot of emotional stock into it. Mm-hmm. You know, you eat, leave, eat, live and breathe this product. Right. Everything in your life. And yeah. You also have this brand that's giving you an opportunity. So your, we'll call it love for the brand is immense. So then when they pack up and leave you, it really hurts. And that's like the honest truth that it hurts. Do you get like a, a reason why, or is it just like, this, this sorry, is this one. we actually actually lied about the reason why, which I didn't get. Cause oh. the brand, like I was like, there's plenty of, there's always that like, they lied and they were like, oh, we're moving away from the individual athlete model. Then they announced like three new individual athletes. So I'm like, well, why didn't you just oh. tell me the truth? I'm clearly going to see that that's a lie. You could have just right. told me the truth. It could have been very productive. I mean, I'm sure, yeah. that, I'm sure that like, it's not hard to think of a reason. There's always like things throughout the year. Or just you, be honest. Yeah. Or just, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, that's the best. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It just like, didn't you mean work nothing out. You're lying to me. So I move on. <laughs> well, and the thing, the reality is, is that I'm going to tell my story as my story is. So if you lie to me, that's now part of my story. Right. It kind of hurts you. I'm not going yeah. to shout them out because I think they're a bunch of dirt bags, but. <laughs> okay. We don't need to get into the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> so now how did you transition for, from pro triathlete to gravel pro? Cause like I'm all up into gravel now. Yeah. So <laughs> it was a, I was actually talking to, my good friend Ruth Winder about this the other day. We kind of had like this mid-ride therapy session. Where just, <laughs> you know, when you're riding a friend, all of a sudden you just open up like crazy. Uh-huh. You're just, like <laughs> opening up on each other and just goes haywire. Um, so I, this came up the other day. I was talking about how at the end of my triathlon career, you know, I'd done it for five years and I never really quite had the success performance-wise that I had hoped for. Mm. And I, you know, it had been five years and that's all, you know, a long period of time to not really... Yeah reached the point where I wanted and I was never in the mindset of I'm going to dig in my heels and just be in this rut no matter how bad I am. Mm-hmm. So I got kind of started to get burnt out towards the very end of 2019. I oh. like towards the end of 2019 that into that season it was a mixed bag of results and I had come off of a double elbow break from a bike crash and there was a lot like, of, just kind of like a this yeah like well oh no way like, double I broke like, like both my radial heads oh my god like identical in both elbows from a bike crash <gasps> so then coming back from that and then getting a mixed bag of results right i kind of was already feeling burnt out so kind of mm-hmm. at that period you know we're talking like december 2019 january 2020 i had started just riding with a group of pure cyclists um and then covid hit <laughs> Like, no, so, that, so, um, so I was riding with this group of cyclists and I was just enjoying my time. And I had always been a fan of cycling from my time in New York city. I mm-hmm. watched the sport. And so I had planned, okay, triathlon is going weekly for me. I'm going to go do my first full Ironman. We're going to see how this goes. And in the back of my head, I was thinking, all right, if this doesn't go well, we're going to call it quits. Uh-huh. But it was kind of awkward. I had signed a really big sponsor deal at the beginning of that of 2020 along with a couple other ones so I kind of felt like I don't know if I really want to be here but I got the support of all these brands who want me to be here so I'm going to be here right I don't really want to be here 
was the confusing <laughs> kind of, that was the confusing thing in my head no i i get you because yeah. you're just like you're pulling yourself and, um, to do this you just i really don't want to be here but i was really motivated cycling because i was enjoying the racing i was enjoying kind of this community aspect that i was going on group rides and enjoying myself and my friends so in kind of my build towards this ironman which was ironman new zealand i went and did a gravel race on my own well not my own my fiance came with me but we went and i had a really good result there it was like a second place it was huge for ah. me. It, was, it was a great result but it really kind of hooked me on this. So then I was kind of even more like this triathlon thing is kind of a stick in the mud. So, yeah. And this is where it kind of got, I just didn't want to do triathlon anymore at the point. I was like, I just yeah. want to do gravel, but I kind of had to just keep it to myself and be like, all right, we're just going to bottle that up and just keep it down, down where no one sees it. So <laughs> until this event, is mind, over, I'm doing, and I'm doing my it. swims, I'm doing my runs. My heart's not really in it. I'm just kind of doing them. Mm -hmm. I ultimately go to New Zealand and, it was this like horrible kind of guilt feeling of being like, I'm in New Zealand, I have all these people supporting me, but there's nowhere else I would rather be less than here in New Zealand getting ready for this Ironman. Mm. And it was kind of this awful, like, I'm, I'm here, I, I should be enjoying it, but I'm not really enjoying my time here. It's, it's kind of weird and awkward, I don't really believe before. in myself. Yeah. And the Ironman went and it was just kind of whatever. So and then <laughs> I'm kind of like sad, I'm like, right, oh, this kind of went, horribly and then so the Ironman took place like March 15th 2020 like we're in New Zealand COVID's starting to break out it's starting to become more of a real real thing yeah so I leave I get home a week later the world shuts down right like we're now it's like March 20th 25th mm -hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden all these triathlons start getting canceled I'm like oh that's interesting every triathlon I was going to do getting canceled I already, all my sponsors already know I got this good result in gravel, which is kind of, you know, it's blowing up a little bit. All of a sudden I can go, hey, there's no triathlons happening at all. But in June, there's a gravel race. I think it was like the end of June. Mm -hmm. It was happening in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, as all gravel <laughs> pretty much are. And in the middle of nowhere, Kansas couldn't give two shits about COVID. No offense. <laughs> um, That's so funny. <laughs> I was kind of like, hey, sponsors, who are relevant i now to give you value since you're sponsoring me for a sport that doesn't exist to be honest there's just nothing here like what am i going to do there's no triathlons for me to do i'm going to go and race gravel because i can market you there and all the sponsors are like oh you're pretty clever i'm like yeah yes let's get on board with this gravel thing guys this is yes there's something here so then that kind of went i went pretty well and then part way through kind of 2020 i was like you know what i'm gonna like make my decision i'm gonna make it very clear to everyone i'm done with triathlon i've had mm -hmm. my fill i've now kind of introduced everyone to gravel this is the direction i'm going in and obviously like my wetsuit sponsor blue 70 at the time just doesn't have any layover with gravel so there's some relationship like that we're just like well it's kind of just got to end because you don't do the thing that we sponsor you to do anymore Mm -hmm. which was sad I, I love them as a brand and they were really supportive of me right to the end but these other brands like that I had been with for so many years kind of came with me and then towards the end of 2020 I decided with my fiance that we we're going to start we wanted a lot of so much work goes into these sponsor relationships and mm -hmm. ultimately at the end there's nothing to show for it when you retire mm -hmm. they're over and that's it so we said hey like we let's do all this for a reason my dog is growling a little bit. I don't know why. Um, I can't hear him. Okay. So I thought was, Hey, well, why don't we start the foundation for a team? Like, you know, let's start everything with this team model in mind. Right. That way, when I feel like I'm done racing gravel, there's still things still here. These brands are sponsoring a team. I'm building mm -hmm. something bigger than myself, mm -hmm. which would just made the whole process even more interesting. Cause now I'm learning even more about, different aspects of it. So kind of through that, I was able to start this team and had different brands come on board. Uh, Kenda Tires and Vision Components were my first real team sponsors to come on board and support us. And they're still with us now. And they kind of saw what I was doing and believed in the project. And it was really kind of invigorating. Okay, like I have something here. We can maybe make something out of this. And it was really kind of interesting just to see that grow. And then 2021, I raced 
gravel under this kind of project and just kind of grew. And a lot of this we'll kind of go over in the other podcast of just like why we weren't able to sign any more athletes kind of going into 2022, mm-hmm. but, and it's just kind of an interesting little step kind of in my journey. That's awesome. I love it. So how many, so what's, are you, so this season, oh no. Okay. So as you mentioned, you're kind of transitioning into the team manager. So that's what the, that whole, that's so for our listeners, that's what the whole next, the other episode 2222 is all about is Chris talking about the, the management and the team stuff. So, but for you, how many races did you do last year? And oh, are a you a lot? A lot. <laughs> so you're all over the United States. Did you oh, do Barry well, Roubaix? I very no, I didn't do Barry. Did Barry Roubaix happen last year? I mean, I didn't do it. Yes. I wasn't even sure if it happened or not. It happened it, in August, uh, so October. Oh, yeah, I didn't do Barry Roubaix last year. Or I this did. Year. I did it last weekend. Yeah, I heard it was really cold. It was really cold. <laughs> so I wasn't horrifically bummed that I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> I um it's like it's one of the we have a a team van that's like converted like full camper van oh so cool I drive to a lot of the races I go to and Barry Bay is really far away from Colorado it's like 19 hours each way which is just oh, like it's a hard sell okay. mm-hmm. uh <laughs> especially just knowing there's so many races coming up this year I'm like I'm I don't really want to put in 19 I think, hours and, yeah well yeah I drove like 10 yeah um 19 hours would be a bit more um, yeah, yeah, I can see that. But it's so interesting for sure, though. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your like your continuous. So after that one race, then you're like, okay, that's totally no more triathlon. I'm switching to gravel completely. Um, what events have you participated in? So then since in because one, I would have done thought so like last year. Yeah, so like the big ones I did were like the BWR, like Cedar City, Lawrence, Unbound. Oh, cool. Um, I I had a couple of like pretty nasty bike crashes that took me out of like uh, gravel worlds. So I like wasn't able to do it because I was coming back from these bike, bike crashes. I crashed at like the Colorado State Road Champs and I, I cut myself really deep on my elbow, which was like, yeah. the problem was like, this is more than a cut because it was on the joint. So the risk mm. of like, what if you get infected when it's on a joint yeah. is just exponentially higher than if it's anywhere else on your body. Right. So, and for me, I, I was just like, I'm not, I'm not playing around with that. Yeah. Gonna, Cause you broke so it. Just before, like like... Kind of, you know, it took me slightly back from being able to race at like, I still, I still got a lot of races and I raced a lot of like local road events. Mm-hmm which was always, it's always fun to do those. I think that it's just important to kind of be, you know, present with your community that you, that you live mm-hmm. in. Yeah. And I still like continue to do all those. I'm racing some local road event this weekend. I don't even know the name of it. And there's gonna be like 30 guys on the start line, but it's a blast. <laughs> yeah. I know our local, our local gravel races are starting. There's only four locally actually. So it's kind of sh- small, but anyways, yeah. it's the first time that'll be like, my third gravel race probably oh. yeah sure <laughs> i started my first one with an eight hour race so i'm like you know maybe i don't need to do these epic yeah. <laughs> long events <laughs> yeah it's definitely interesting and the calendar this year is really exciting to have like a really full uncompromised yes. calendar where where you actually get the calendar how it's supposed to be of like starting in january ending you know with races basically from january to december and then mm-hmm. you can kind of stretch your season out so like we have Boulder Roubaix, which is a, which is kind of oh, Boulder Roubaix. Yeah, it's Boulder Roubaix. There's so many races with the word Roubaix in them. Oh. Like, <laughs> seriously, I I can't fathom how many. Like every state, I feel like has some sort of race where they threw the word Roubaix in it. But um, Boulder Roubaix is interesting to me because it's kind of at that nexus where traditional road and gravel meet. Of mm-hmm. it's a USA Cycling sanctioned blah 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 race. Which oh. I'm not the biggest fan of because they're very exclu- exclusive. You know, it's not mass participation. Yeah. It takes a lot to join, but mm-hmm. it is all that. It is like a cat one, two race and half of it is on gravel. Right. So that's what I mean. It's kind of this weird gray zone of it's a road race, but there's majority of it's on gravel. Mm. So is it a gravel race? Is it a road race? It's that weird gray zone. 
but I'm looking like, forward what to What tires it. do I put on? Yeah, exactly. You could run, you know, the, there's a whole spectrum of what do you want to run equipment wise. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited for this race. It's actually, it's a big deal for the team. We're bringing on our first ever uh, guest rider, this amazing woman who I think is just a total stud. Yay. Uh, which is just, it was a big step for the team. Mm -hmm. we, we don't talk about this in the other podcast, but because uh, it hadn't happened yet, but it's our first ever uh, addition to the team. And it's just a guest rider for this one event. Mm -hmm. We'll see how it goes. I think this, this girl is phenomenal. And I'm really, really kind of excited just to be put the proper, like, I guess I can pick any name for myself, team principal hat on <laughs> and kind of like really support her and my mm -hmm. fiance is racing too. Yep. But it's, it's an exciting race and it's local. I'll do that one. I'll race probably um, Mad Gravel going into Unbound. Obviously, I'll, and then I'll do Unbound. And then we just have so many, there's so many great races in the Colorado area that I'm looking forward to doing this year. Right. And I don't know, just kind of go back to it. I'm really excited about bringing people onto this team. And this, this woman is like a really big step for us of officially having our first addition. Yeah. Wow. So that's pretty exciting. Yes. So I guess that happened between uh, our first interview and this interview. So it, uh, yeah, our team is, is going to start growing. That's super cool. Now, um, I know that we have a little bit more time. Can I ask you like training for gravel since you've been a pro last year, what are some of the tips that you would give? Okay. So say like me, I have been training inside all winter. I did my first event. I survived hundred kilometers. Um, I didn't freeze to death and I feel pretty like bulletproof right now. Cause I just had such a great event. Not maybe not so fast, but like, um, you know, consider the conditions and everything. What would, what kind of advice would you give me now? Like right now going into the season of, um, you know, potentially, you know, a handful of races and for training. Do you That's mean a good question? I'll try and give, I'll try and give <laughs> answers that are mean? maybe like, I think the first one that I, I kind of tell anyone, because the number one thing that's to make any gravel race kind of miserable is if you get a mechanical, Oh uh, yes. I would highly recommend everyone tires is something you really should consider. Um, okay. taking the time and looking into what the, you know, the best option is for each race, um, to kind of give you the two cents bigger is always better that's probably the I went bigger size. so mm -hmm. finding out what you know what your bike's um size range is if your bike can go up to a 40 millimeter or 45 millimeter oh. figure out what that is I would say lean to the bigger size it's going to make um a lot less flat resistant a lot more comfortable of a ride mm -hmm. grip and so on uh there's not really much of any penalty for speed I personally uh on our diamond bikes go up to a 42 millimeter and I run a 42 millimeter for pretty much everything regardless okay. of what the course is. So that would kind of be my first tip to kind of get a little bit more out of the box for people. I think that something that my fiance and I did this past year that is paying a lot of dividends this year is we raised cyclocross. Oh, I think a lot okay. of people, mm -hmm. you can race it on your gravel bikes. It's another the vibe is very similar to gravel. It's a very relaxed, it's very supportive. It's very community-based and they're locally to wherever you are, generally speaking. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a really fun way to work on your confidence on your gravel bike, going into an off season of being on the trainer. Everything about yeah. it is very handling based. Mm -hmm. Fitness really isn't as much of a factor in a cross race. It's a lot more handling. So even if you're getting last, you're still forced to improve your handling skills throughout the race. Yeah you're forced to kind of, you know, take a corner multiple times and learn, right. If I enter it this way and let go of my brakes here, I'm going to be able to go around faster. So right. kind of come, you'll get a better feel for your bike would be the way to put it. Yeah. If anyone is a skier or a swimmer, you understand what I mean, when you talk about like the way you feel yourself going into a corner, if you're a swimmer, yeah. you know, that feel when you, um, nail your stroke correctly or a skier knows, you know, when you pick your line correctly, going down a mogul Hill, <laughs> you just learn that same similar skill, but on a bike. Yeah, and, and the corners a really change. Way of teaching you that, and mm -hmm. generally, and it's the same. I just investment in bike handling skills is something that will always pay off. I and love that, Chris. I love that you're saying that. I just raced um the Mid South, and full credit to the woman's winner, but she almost 
killed everyone in the field by coming to a full stop at the middle of at the first roundabout in a neutral zone i was on her wheel and it was terrifying so no matter how good you are you always improve your bike handling skills yeah. and i think that's i just teach really a lot of that yeah actually you're never too good to do basic drills you're never too good to practice your bike handling skills thank you trust me on that one i don't think people think about that they're just like i'm just fast i can just climb hills i'm like yeah but yeah, you but could you probably do it a lot corner. more efficiently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it like, and just more confident you are on your bike, the better you're going to be are in a pack and mm -hmm. the more confident you are holding wheels and just not being sketchy to people around you. <laughs> because, you know, if you're not confident, you're just going to be nervous and stressed, which just causes more fatigue on you in the first place. It's like, yeah, exactly. And then you'll just naturally, that. that's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think like what are some other like good tips that maybe people haven't heard a gazillion times on every blog. Um, <laughs> it's always I mean, nice hearing it from you. I mean, nutrition is always important. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I don't know. I, there's not really much advice I can give there. I mean, I even I struggle with nutrition. It's not. I don't. It's not something I'm like. I'm not some amazing nutritionist where I'm eating perfectly. I still struggle a lot. Don't. What I do is I just start the growl raising all right every second that i'm not that i'm thinking means i can eat something because it means something bad's <laughs> not happening if something bad's happening i'm not really thinking about other stuff so that means i can't eat so anytime right. my mind's wondering i'm like that means automatically i need to eat something so oh, like my mind well, wanders really quickly in gravel races and unfortunately for people around me then i'll just start talking to them and messing with them but because <laughs> i'll just get bored of like like nothing's happening. We have like a hundred miles to go. And I'm I know, eh? Right? You. And some <laughs> people don't like to talk. I'm like, we have like eight hours of riding together. If you don't yeah. want to talk now, this is going to be a way more miserable eight hours. I know. Actually, I came up on uh, a guy and well, cause I was racing by myself and he was by himself and, and you're, it's true. Like you come up to some people you like, and I, I guess maybe I'm just like, you are, I'm just, you know, chatty. And uh, I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> so I'm just, hey, how you doing? Yeah, so if they're not gonna talk to me, I'm like, okay. Um, but this guy, they, we must've chatted and biked beside each other for 40 miles. Like, Yeah, that's a good tip. Was, be chatty and be open to making friends in the gravel I race. Mean, like, that's yeah, what I say, like, just, go open-minded. Like, if you see someone, it's okay to talk to them. I know there's mm -hmm. the word race involved, but that doesn't mean you can't make friends. Yeah. So yeah, so we ended up finishing together and I'm like, you know, there was many times where I was like, you know what, just go ahead. If like, if you're going to get too cold, cause I'm too slow, don't, don't hang out with me. I totally get it. It's okay. You know? And, uh, but we just ended up like meeting up and, you know, I would catch up to him on a downhill or an uphill or something. And we finished the race together. He's like, so how do you want to do this? Do you want me, to, you know, like, and I'm going to sprint in front of you and get, you know, I'm going to take your wheel and sprint, but it was just, it was fun. And then, uh, we, end, then we ended up going out, um, just meeting up with their friends and going and going out for supper. So it was, it was really cool. Like I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to be able to chat with anybody, you know, cause everybody's got the race face on and they're like, I'm going, but yeah, yeah. I, hate the, I hate the race face. Like just get out of your own head and just like enjoy the people around you yeah i would say like get comfortable with like hugs and stuff going to gravel races like practice it like a one arm shoulder tap is not a hug people it's two oh. arms around like a solid embrace like that's a hug i know it's it's, it is like a, like, like a like a bit of a tap me on the shoulder just like just just tell me to go away at that point it's equally <laughs> as rude yeah you're right actually um yeah. we uh i was able to meet up with a bunch of ladies off of gravel page which was really cool because i brought my team tent i put it up i said this is where we can all meet so we can like you know just meet instead of like being you know facebook friends yeah and so i ended up uh meeting like six women from you know all around the united states well you know they're from the states and uh yeah it was it was really nice. I really, really love the vibe. So, all right. Well, I think it's coming to an end now. Chris, do you have anything that you would like to share with us um, to end up 
this episode and to maybe segue into the next one, which I mentioned is episode 222. Yeah, so we'll um, give you like highlight previews. Yes. So if you want to hear about like... how the owner of Diamond Bikes convinced me to have a wedding, listen to the second episode. If you want to hear the story of me starting a professional gravel cycling team, listen to the next episode. Unrelated, if you have any questions at all, message me on Instagram. I always check and I'll always get back to you. Yes, he's very good. I'm an open book. If you see me at a race, come say hi to me. I always want to talk. It's totally fine. If you're going to give me a hug, it has to be a real one. A shoulder tap is just rude. <laughs> Those are my closing thoughts. It's been such a pleasure to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Chris. I certainly appreciate you and being on here twice. So to all our listeners, thank you so much. And make sure you go and follow Chris on Instagram. You follow our podcast, uh, Secrets from the Saddle podcast. You can follow myself, Sylvie Dau, and have yourself an amazing day, everyone. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed that episode with Chris Schroeder. He is super amazing. And the thing is that, you know, having dyslexia and doing what he's done, what he's doing now, what he did is just really empowering and impactful for, you know, not only myself for listening, but I hope for you too, that you don't have to put barriers up just because you might feel that because you have a disability like that, that things can stand in your way. Because like Chris said, if you ever want to reach out to him, reach out to him. He's super amazing on Instagram to get back to you. You know, if you need some words of confidence, he's always there. So with that, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And don't forget to make sure you're following so you don't miss his uh, next episode 222 that he talks all about his uh, racing team, Diamond Racing. So with that, have an amazing day, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.